in the early church, uh, in the years that followed Jesus's death and resurrection, um, these little communities began to spring up. Uh, communities that were made up of people who did not belong together. People that legally, people that culturally uh, should not have been existing in a community with one another. With one another. And, uh, and yet they did, and they did. Um, they were communities of reconciliation. They were communities of forgiveness. They were communities that supplied the needs that each other had. Uh, and they infuriated the Roman, <laughs> they infuriated the Roman empire, uh, because they broke up, they broke up the order. They broke up the order of the Roman empire. And Paul, who was, uh, wrote a lot of what we know of as the new Testament, um, was a pastor in this early church. And he believed that these communities, these little pockets of people that existed in a new way together, that they were evidence of the resurrection power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that they were evidence of this kind of power at work in the world. And that this, these communities, this power was the way that God was finally doing the thing that God's been trying to do since the very beginning of, of the world, which is to restore order and shalom, peace to the world. Uh, my words, not his. Paul believed that our oneness is our witness, the, our ability to live together in these types of communities. Um, we're our, the witness, our witness to the power of God, the resurrection power of God that, that works. Uh, within us and through us. Um, we've been in a series. We've been talking about uh, how the birth of Jesus changed everything. Today, we're going to talk about how uh, the birth of Jesus changes our communities. Um, and I think we have a really beautiful example of what that looks like in, in the New Testament. Um, but it seems like a strange and foreign land to us, uh, you know, thousands of years ago. Like it just, it feels very removed from us. Uh, and I've been asking the question, I mean, if that's our, if that's our thing, if that's our calling, I've been asking myself the question, what does it look like for us, the people of God to participate in the work of God in the world? Um, and specifically, what does it look like for me, like my actual self to participate in the work of God, not just to be a beneficiary of the work of God, to let God change and transform me or my life uh, through God's grace. But what does it look like for me as a real person to participate in the work of God in my very real community and the places that are right around me? So I think I'd like to invite you as we explore this just for a second to, uh, to consider one of your communities, like however you would choose to define that for our time together today. Um, maybe it's a workplace, uh, maybe it's a neighborhood. Um, maybe it's uh, like your family. I don't like sometimes holding our family together feels like a miracle. Um, maybe it's a community like a town. Uh, maybe it's a community like a, you know, a shape of some sort, like a triangle. Uh, maybe it's a, you know, a state, maybe a nation. I don't know. I'm not going to, I won't prescribe that for you, but, but what does it look like? What does it look like for us whose lives have been transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ? to participate in the work of transforming the world and transforming the communities that we're in.
I think sometimes we want like easy solutions to transformation. Um, this is a little bit uh, kind of a part of my story. Some of you maybe have heard me talk about it, but um, before I went to seminary, before I entered into kind of thinking about doing pastoral ministry as a, as a profession, as a career, um, I really just thought for most of my life I was going to end up doing politics. Uh, just uh, always fascinated by public policy. Um, and uh, I, I, I saw public policy as a way to fix the problems uh, the brokenness that I could see in my communities, right? In my school, uh, whether it was like student government sort of stuff, uh, or then later kind of bigger and broader than that. Uh, so I went to, I went to college was political science major kind of anticipated that that's the work that I would do. Um, and I still, I love politics. I love how we make decisions together. I like watching how forces like push and pull against each. It's always fascinating to me. And, and I think that public policy is super important. Um, I think we all ought to be paying attention to it. Uh, I think we ought to be active uh, in, at that work. Um, that is not contrary to my faith. I believe it's because of it. Um, and yet, I think what I started to recognize, and I don't know that I would have said it exactly this way then, uh, but you know, with 20 years of hindsight and wisdom, it comes a little bit of a different understanding of things. I think what I was beginning to wrestle with is that the, the problems that I saw, I recognized that public policy like the, the, the rules, the laws that help us navigate our life together, that they could address and help us deal with the symptoms of the problems that we were facing. Now, meanwhile, down the street uh, from town hall where I was uh, worshiping at a church, I was working with the youth. Uh, and I recognized that, uh, that, that the, the thing that Jesus wanted to do was to change and transform our lives, our hearts, uh, to heal us from the sickness, right? Now, I would say like the sickness of sin. I don't, we can unpack that another day maybe, but um, the, the thing that's causing the symptoms, like Jesus wants to heal that. Public policy can deal with the symptoms, but Jesus wants to deal with the sickness. Uh, and I think it was in that moment, I kind of had to decide, you know, which, which avenue I was going to take. What was I going to help do? Um, and I think both would have been valuable, uh, paths for me, uh, but I felt called, uh, to, to come and to serve in the church and to be a part of, to be a part of that work. Um, even doing this work in the church and in a church, I never deal with politics. So good thing I left that life behind. Um, I, I think sometimes, I think sometimes we just want easy answers to the problems that ail us. Like we don't want to have to deal with the hard work that it takes uh, to, to let God transform, reshape, reform, renew, restore our hearts and our lives. And when we look out of the church, uh, out of our windows, and we see problems in the world, uh, it's like sometimes we just want to leverage the power of God to solve these problems. There was a, um, uh, an SNL sketch, gosh, 20 years ago. Uh, this would have been in or maybe not quite that long ago. It was early, like early 2000s uh, during the recession, maybe 2007 or so. Um, and they had a character, Kenan Thompson, I think played it, uh, came on and was like a, um, uh, was an economist that was going to solve all of our problems or whatever. And, and his solution to the problem was that it better be fixed. Uh, and every time they would ask him for a solution, he'd be like, well, I'm going to go to sleep. And when I wake up in the morning, it better be fixed. Someone better fix it. Like, I, I think Sometimes we like, we look out of our windows and we see the problems in the world that we wish we could solve. And we think someone should do something about that. It needs to be fixed. Um, and, uh, I think that's an easy, an easy way out for us. Um, but I think, I think that God calls us, uh, to some harder work. 
than that. Um, and yet, that which God calls us to um, is not under our own power, but God gives us the power to do the work that I think God has called us to do. There's this moment uh, in scripture where Jesus has been handed over uh, to Pilate, who was uh, like the governor of the area at the time. And uh, he was an emissary of the Roman Empire, and he alone could execute people. And so Jesus has been handed over to him so that he can render a verdict uh, and, and kill Jesus. Uh, and they're having this back and forth. Pilate seems really uneasy with the situation. Um, and so he's trying to give Jesus an out. Uh, and he says to Jesus at one point, he says, do you refuse to speak to me? Like he won't answer Pilate's questions. Do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have power to release you and power to crucify you? Like, I hold your fate in my hands. I've got the power. I alone can solve your problems. If you will just believe that I have the power, you know, I can free you. I can set you free. Jesus, uh, Jesus answered him, you would have no power over me unless it had been given to you from above. Now, I love this answer for so many reasons. And frankly, this answer keeps me up at night. <laughs> um, but uh, I love it because it's a little bit snarky, right? Jesus, uh, the, the, the thing that people empower or who think that they're in power hate more than anything else is anyone questioning their authority. And when Jesus says the power has been given, you know, from someone above you, uh, it's basically like calling Pilate an underling. Like it doesn't really count. His power doesn't really count. It's not his power. Someone else just gave it to him, um, which I'm sure was infuriating for him. Um, but, uh, this word from above, uh, also, uh, insinuates that the power like there is a greater power. And I think that from above, often Jesus uses to talk about from God. Um, and so Jesus is saying like, I don't need your power, Pilate. Like it's not good. It doesn't do anything. It's fake power. Um, he calls it the power over, the power over. He says, you would have no power over me unless it had been given to you from above. And I think often in our own lives, in the church, perhaps we want to lean on Pilate's type of power, power over if we can just like legislate the right rules, if we can just force people to live in a particular way, then all these problems would be solved. But, but that's not the power that Jesus leans on in this moment. He could, he could, right? I mean, there are plenty of opportunities that we see all throughout scripture where God, the power of God is kind of taking on the power of some evil occupying force. Pharaoh is an example of that. Babylon is an example of that. There's plenty of examples of that. And here we have that same like tete-a-tete is happening between the two of them. But we see that when Jesus leverages the fullness of God's power, it is not in this moment to like call down fire and burn Pilate in his palace. Jesus' power, what Jesus is going to go on to, you know, insist is real power, is true power. Jesus' power is power that comes with humility. Jesus' power is power that comes with forgiveness all the way to his death and on the other side of it. Jesus' power is self-sacrificial. And he says that this way of life, this way of living, this way of being, this, this mode of operation is what it looks like to live with the power of God. Now, now Jesus, Jesus, I believe, in, contra in contrast to like power over, I believe that Jesus lived with, uh, with a power, I want to call it power with. Jesus was, came to be with us, right? Uh, that's the good news of the incarnation. That's the good news of Christmas, to become like us in every way, to understand what it's like to live in our skin and to walk in our shoes. Jesus understands that. Jesus understands that because Jesus chose to be with. Now, 
even we we talk about theologically how uh, God has power over death, right? So the the worst thing that Pilate, the Roman Empire, could do to Jesus was to take his life, um, and then resurrection you know, proves that God's power is greater than the worst power that we have, the greatest power that we think we have. Uh, and theologically, we would say that. Um, and yet, Jesus was still, like, offering his power in a way that gave life, not just to Jesus, but that gives life to all of us. Uh, I think sometimes when we lean on the power over, uh, it brings more death or deathiness. But Jesus's power, the way that Jesus uses power, was to bring life and wholeness and healing and life to others. Again, not just uh, not just to himself. A couple of years ago, uh, at one of the, v- uh, the VBS we were having here, uh, there was a poster that was supplied by the people that make the uh, VBS curriculum, uh, and I'll never forget it. We kind of joked about it uh, in the office a little bit, but um, <coughs> uh, there was a poster of Jesus coming out of the tomb. Uh, on, you know, on Resurrection Sunday. And he's like mid stride, like kicking over the the stone that was blocking the tomb. And he comes out and he's like rippling muscles. He's got a big chiseled jaw, you know, just like Jesus would have looked. Uh, He's got this giant grin on his face. He's like winking at you. Um, Like sometimes we even want to lay our own expectations of what power should look like on top of Jesus. And yet we see Jesus's power with Uh, operating in a very different uh, sort of way. The Apostle Paul, uh, who writes uh, a lot of letters, like I said in the New Testament, uh, in Romans chapter 8, writes this, If the Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, um, dwells in you, then God, who raised Christ from the dead, will give life to your mortal bodies also through His Spirit that dwells in you. Now, uh, there's a lot going on in this chapter, and I, I don't uh, don't have the time to go through all of it fully, but um, I, I love this reminder from Paul that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at, is at work within us. But the power of God that's at work within us is not a power over. It's a power with. It's a power with. And when God sends us out into our community uh, to to be the people of God, God sends us out with the power of the Holy Spirit in us the power for us to go and be with. Our job is not to just run around like chickens with their head cut off and just say, this thing better be fixed. Let's let's legislate. Let's force people to live the way that Jesus wanted them to live. Our job is to show up in our communities, all the places that we live and work and play as the people of God with this kind of power and to be with. Like these places, these communities, they are our mission field. We are called by God to go into these places so that transformed lives can participate with God in transforming our communities. But that means that each and every single one of us has to, has to commit ourselves to that kind of work. And honestly, that work is, uh, it's not always, it's not always easy work. It's not always easy work. Um, I, in fact, if it's easy, it's, probably not the real work that we need to be doing. Um, We'll remember that when Jesus operated out of the power of God, uh, it cost Jesus a great deal. Um, If it's not costing us something, um, it's probably not love that's real love. So uh, I want to encourage us to think about what it looks like for us to um, use the power that God has has given to each of us in the places that we live, work, and play to use that uh, well. I don't want to be like overly prescriptive for you about what that means. I'd really love for you to wrestle with that question for yourself. Um, for me, here are some thoughts that I've had, if it's helpful, just kind of where I am in my own headspace. Um, I've been thinking a lot about how the church often operates 
to not bring people together, but to keep people apart, right? So we see problems that exist in our community and we get one group of people that kind of brings a set of resources to the church. And then we get another group of people that come to the church to get those resources. But these two groups of people never really have to interact with each other. It's almost like the the church becomes a a place of transaction. It's a a sterilizing agency, right? It's a sterile like a hospital is uh, to keep keep things nice and clean in the world around us. Um, And I'm not sure that that's, I mean, the church, if, if we are the body of Christ, I mean, Jesus, his his existence with us was an incarnational one. Like he got, got dirty, he took on flesh. He dwelt among us. Like we've got to dwell among each other. Like this is the work that we're called to do. So I've been thinking about how I believe that each of us are called to invest ourselves in the complicated work of being friends, of being friends, the power with, right? What does it look like for us uh, to be, to be friends with each other? I think that the, the work of friendship um, not the fake work of friendship, like, Oh, I'm friends with him. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like really, the work of being friends with a person who would call us their friend too. Like that is complicated work. Um, and I think we're called to be friends in a complicated way uh, with people in our communities. Um, so we have to invest ourselves in that work. Um, I think we have to commit ourselves, uh, not just to that work, but to the hard work of being partners with people that we don't always agree with. And in particular, to be partners in ways that mean we're not in charge. Uh, and that I think can be hard, especially when we want things fixed. Now, get it done. Um, uh, we're called to be partners with people it's hard to be partners with. Uh, and um, But I think that that's worthwhile work that we engage in uh, when we are investing ourselves uh, in the complicated work of being friends. And then finally, uh, I want to borrow a phrase from uh, John Wesley, who got the Methodist movement started. Uh, I think we have to submit ourselves to be more vile, right? Which is a strange word to use and is certainly outdated and I wouldn't use it a lot these days. But um, John Wesley, uh, in April of 1739, left the church and headed out into the countryside to go preach in the fields. Uh, He preached in the fields. He preached at camps of miners. Um, He preached like people that were mining things like coal. Um, He preached uh, to people in prison, debtor's prison. Um, And in particular, his colleagues just thought that's not what the church does. That's, that's beneath us. You know, people come to us. People come to us. Um, and so he wrote in his journal on April the 2nd, 1739, uh, at four in the afternoon, I submitted to be more vile. And I proclaimed in the highways, the glad tidings of salvation. Um, there's a lot of places our, our world is telling us it's, it's not right for us to go. Um, and I think I think we just have to ask ourselves, where is God calling us to be? Among whom is God calling us uh, to be and to serve? With whom is God calling us uh, to be and to serve? Um, and so I, I don't know. I've just been asking those questions for myself. Uh, not just to be around people that by default we're around, but what does it look like uh, in those spaces to invest myself in the complicated work of being friends, to commit myself to being partners with people who think or act differently than I do, um, people that I might not always agree with or get along with well, people that maybe don't think very highly of me? Like, what does it look like to be in partnership uh, with those folks? And then what does it look like for me to uh, to become more vile um, for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Um, I think we spend an inordinate amount of time piddling around with the power of Pilate. Uh, and I would rather invest my time serving with the power of God. Um, and I would invite you to consider what it would look like uh, to do the same. So, uh, 
we'll, we'll continue to let these ideas bake uh, together as we ask the question, what does it look like for us to be the people of God in the places that we live, work, and play, serving with the power of God, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead uh, that lives in each one of us. Um, we'll, we'll process that together. We'll go on processing it together. Uh, blessings on you as you do that work. Well, it's been great to worship with you together during this time. Uh, we'd love to invite you to come and join us for worship in person or online, live on Sunday mornings or throughout the week. You can find more information about our worship times or worship with us online at fvumc.org. And while you're there, uh, you can find plenty of ways to connect with us, uh, whether that's uh, connecting in sort of an opportunity for community around here or serving the greater Fuquay community around us. Uh, so we'd love to invite you to join us for those. If this is a resource that provides you spiritual sustenance and you'd like to partner with us in making it possible for everyone else, while you're there, at the top right-hand corner, there's a button that says Give, or you can go to fvumc.org slash give and make a gift there that makes the mission and ministry of this place possible. We're so thankful for everyone who partners with us uh, to do just that. Listen, it's been great. It's been great to be together with you uh, in this moment, and we look forward to worshiping again with you real soon. We'll see you then.